0: Welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello and welcome to another episode of Missing Frames. This is the podcast where we watch all the movies we should have seen by this point in our lives. I'm your host, Sean Eastridge. We're hanging out on the Nerd Party Network, a collection of podcasts dedicated to all things entertainment, check us out at thenerdparty.com and find us on Instagram at The Nerd Party. You can find us on Twitter at Join nerdparty and on Facebook, just The Nerd Party. And uh, just in time for the holidays, we have Amber Trujillo back again. Welcome, Amber. Glad you could be here.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. You're always you're always so nice.
0: Did I pronounce your last name more correctly this time than I did in our last episode?
1: I don't remember you mispronouncing my name last time. I, I just remember
0: that... feeling a lot of not pressure from you, but I want I was like, I'm going to get this right because I'd psyched myself up about it. And now I felt like I just went right into it you without did. thinking about it. And I just wanted to see. Okay, good. Good, good, good. So we're all set. That episode was Contact, by the way. The film Mm -hmm. Contact. I don't remember which number episode it was. Sorry, everybody. Oh, I'm such a... Do you remember, Amber?
1: I don't. I don't remember. We're awful people.
0: Breaking my heart. Yeah, (laughs) both of us are breaking my heart. But you know what? That's all in the past. We're moving forward into the future. It's a brand new episode. This is episode 127 of Missing Frames. It's 2022. And we are just at the tail end of what is the 40th anniversary of one of the greatest films of all time. And that film is Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. And I know I'm kind of saying that maybe a little like tongue-in-cheek, but I, I mean it sincerely. I think it's one of the best movies ever. It's certainly the best Star Trek film, in my opinion, and widely considered the best Star Trek film. And Amber you have never seen Star Trek 2 although you are a Star Trek fan so tell me a little bit about your Star Trek love how you got into it and what has led you to this point of not seeing the seminal Star Trek film
1: yeah so so Star Trek I am definitely not I I have not earned the honor of being called a trekkie because I, ha- I do not have nearly a- enough knowledge of Star Trek as most people do, not even like a little bit. Why? Because I've only watched the original Star Trek.
0: It's and amazing, amazing. Yeah,
1: so so really like my journey with that was I started out watching Outer Limits and The Twilight Zone. And that's what kind of like piqued my interest on like the, the older sci-fis. And right. then I kind of watched uh, Star Trek when it was just coming out on TV. And then a friend of So mine- back in the sixties. Yeah, <laughs> back in the sixties. Yeah, I'm a time traveler. <laughs> Did you not know that, Sean? Well, I
0: figured you had to be. It just I, I had, to had be. a I had a feeling about you, Amber.
1: If we could start that um conspiracy theory, that would be great. If I had any kind of rumors about me, the fact that I'd be a time traveler, I'd be okay with that. I this would be okay with people. Yeah, this is where it starts. You know what? You and I have been trying to start some kind of conspiracy theory for a minute now. So this I think this this is it. This is the one. This is the one that's gonna catch on. This is Perfect. the one that people are gonna gravitate towards. I so. think
0: this is gonna go far. I think so too. <laughs> So you were into Star Trek. Yes. You got into it, but you've only seen the original series. You were watching it, like Mm -hmm. reruns on TV.
1: Yeah. So a friend of mine told me that I had to start. I had to watch every single Star Trek episode, and I had to start from the beginning, and I had to Watch every single episode, and that's pretty daunting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just a, just a little bit, and so so I started uh, just with with the original series, and then okay. I I I wasn't able to to go on, but it's definitely um, especially with with where I'm working now, it, I it's necessary like I don't I don't have a choice at that point um so so I am I'm excited I'm excited to get into it because um it really is I think even though the small amount of um, knowledge that I have with Star Trek I know enough that it has totally revolutionized television as far as um you know, bringing science fiction to tackle really difficult uh, conversations. The fact that right. they 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 changed the game by uh, their diversity factor was was also huge. Mm-hmm. So um, so yeah, I, I definitely want to get a lot more into it.
0: Yeah, and and it makes sense that you would because for those of you who don't know, Amber actually works in outer space. She's beamed in <laughs> for this episode, um, which is. Again, it, just incredible. Um, well, using time travel technology, you've beamed into this uh, podcast sphere yes. to be a part of this episode. In all reality, uh, Amber is a massive outer space fan. All things NASA and space travel and other planets. And it, I mean, you're awesome. Like, you know oh. more about the stuff than anybody I know, maybe aside from the actual crew of the Enterprise. So, <laughs> I mean, that's certainly something to be proud of.
1: Well, thank you. I do. I am overtly obsessed with um, outer space and everything having to do with space. And I'm lucky enough to to be able to have a career in the industry so I can become more obsessed and feed my obsession.
0: So Star Trek is something that you have dabbled with a little bit, familiar mm-hmm. enough to know you enjoy it, but not necessarily something you've delved into completely.
1: Correct. Yeah. I don't know what it's called. I know it's not. Is it a different series? Like, like having to go, like, how do you um, how do you name those different? Like, so there's the one from the 60s and then right. there's the one in the 80s. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're right. So it's the original series is, you know, the 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 OG Yeah, That's what everyone calls it now. TOS, if you're into abbreviations. Then there was the next generation in the late 80s, early 90s. And that was Captain Picard and Data and all of them. And then Deep Space Nine came after that. Voyager came after that. And then Enterprise. And then I think enterprise got canceled then they did the reboot the jj abrams movie which i love i'm just gonna put that out there to (laughs) everybody because i know there are some haters who are like oh it's too exciting and i'm like you what and that's a bad thing yeah there are people who don't like it because it's not talky enough and it's too jj abrams who was not a star trek fan brought his star wars love to the franchise and i think some people resent it a little bit that's neither here nor there the point is there are many many series of star trek it is very daunting to get into this franchise i can't blame you and as much as i love the original series i would not say it's the best this franchise has to offer my personal favorite as people may know already is next generation but i'm a big fan of Deep Space Nine as well. I just watched Deep Space Nine.
1: I have to I have to watch Deep Space Nine. But I, I will say I have seen a lot of the episodes of The Next Generation. I've just seen the original series more because um one of my um science communicator, like one of the people that I look up to as far as like communication goes is LeVar Burton. Mm-hmm. And he played LaForge, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So so I loved his character, just the way that the I mean I love to get into the science aspects of anything sci-fi. We talked about this on on uh, the Contact episode. I'm I'm really like, you know, it, it gets me excited when they when they bring in real scientific terms and stuff. So, yeah. um, I think I remember that LaForge had had some kind of like, uh, he would see in different spectrums, like um, different wavelengths of light. Right? Was right. that his Something thing? Something like that. Yeah, which was you really know more about cool. this than
0: I do. I'm just I'm like, yeah, sure, sure. That yeah. sounds great. Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's that's the stuff that gets me excited when I when I'm watching something and I'm like oh my gosh they used it correctly.
0: Amber is responsible for the invention of the visor that gives uh, Jordy LaForge his sight. I think is how I understand it.
1: uh yeah, we could start that one too. You invented another...
0: it, and then you came back in time right. uh, to grace us with the, uh, the the knowledge of of that really landmark revolutionary invention.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a Probably. look. I saw it, and I was like, this is the vibe. They're going to love it. <laughs> They're going to love it, and so, so nailed it. This is it. the
0: vibes sir.
1: Vibes. Oh, uh, clever. No, clever, Oh no. Yeah. no, don't
0: even humor me, don't, please. Ugh. Okay,
1: then I won't.
0: Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you know a little bit about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This makes more sense now that you haven't seen Star Trek 2, because I was kind of amazed because you were like, yeah, original series, but not really any of the movies. So have you not seen any of the movies? Or None is it- of the movies. Wow. OK, this is yeah. going to be great. So I'm going to give you the the uh, the quick recap, c- because I know at least a few people have probably heard me say this before, but let me tell you how I got into Star Trek. So I kind of grew up watching Next Generation a little bit because that was the one that was on when I was younger. And I always enjoyed it. I was really, and still to this day, am a bigger movie person than TV person. So as I got older, I kind of not leaned away from the TV show. Like I would catch the odd episode of Star Trek, whether it was the original series or Next Generation here and there. But I'm a movie person. So I was like, mm. well, let me go and watch. The movies that's my thing i don't have time to sit down and watch a television show who uh, no i can't so i was very familiar with the films i start i saw this movie wrath of khan very very early on um and uh, i it wasn't until more recently like in the past few years that i went back and started watching the tv show specifically I went back and watched the original series and was like, oh, this is really good. Um, And then I watched next generation and I was like, oh my God, this is actually like incredible. Like I really took this for granted. I kind of had written it off as like, yeah, I'm sure you nerds like it as if I'm not, a huge nerd i mean you're one you're one of us i'm in the nerd party network i would have to (laughs) to qualify for this position but uh no like in all reality i was kind of like ah, i'm sure star Trek is nice if you're like into that kind of stuff but uh, sitting down and actually watching it uh, all Mm. the way through and realizing like this is actually really smart and really like Not just intellectual, which I'd kind of pegged Star Trek as being like Star Wars is fun and exciting and Star Trek is slow and methodical, but it's actually not only is Star Trek very fun when it needs to be, but it's very, it's much more thoughtful and um, it's more about ideas than Mm. Star Wars is. And this is some coming from someone who loves Star Wars, but Star Wars is more about the fun and the excitement and it has a lot of heart, but Star Trek like makes you think like in a way that it's another level it's exactly it and i kind of was not expecting that or maybe i knew but i didn't realize how uh as i've gotten older and have just gotten more into like uh, you know philosophy and psychology Mm. and star trek really goes into that stuff it really really started to like catch my interest and so i went through next generation i went through deep space nine in the past year and really loved that um but, yeah, I totally became a Star Trek fanboy in a way. I had always kind of been growing up. But really, in the past few years, I've kind of become really, really pushing people to watch it and being like, no, yeah. no, no, you don't understand. This is a really, really great show. Um,
1: I feel like you have to you have to come to a point in your life where you will appreciate it because I do yes. remember I do remember seeing it on like TV growing up, and you kind of just like, you know, you go through it like you change there, the there are
0: makeup costumes there yeah. are things that are very dated and sometimes are like okay this looks very cheap and goofy
1: exactly but you have to come to a point in your life where you where you really appreciate those um those deep ideas because it really does it not only you know uh ties in really beautifully a lot of the science elements but as you said the philosophical like uh you know things that we're going through just like as human beings um all of these human condition questions so so it nails it and the the writers are just absolutely phenomenal
0: that's the thing i never until i started watching it i always kind of assumed it was less about the heart than it was about the ideas but it's the it's the marriage of both really Mm -hmm. and it really is um I would encourage anybody who's kind of like been on the fence about it, but it really is like, not just on an intellectual level, but just on like an emotional level. It's really, it's a celebration of like the, the, what people are capable of when they're willing to put aside differences and work together and for the better of everyone. And it's, it's a really beautiful idea. And I think especially in this day and age where everyone is very divided and everything is kind of a, a cause to, sling mud at somebody else to see it to watch the show in this day and age where people are fighting to understand other people and differences right. i'm like this is something i can get on board with this is really great and really necessary um which brings us to the movies so let me give you a little history about how the movies came about okay. originally so star trek the original series did you know it was canceled
1: Yes, I did.
0: So it was canceled Mm -hmm. in its third season. And what happened was in syndication, suddenly the ratings started to rise. And before long, Star Trek became Star Trek. Like people were watching it. They were obsessed with it because it caught on with the college crowd, like kids who could go home between or go back to their dorm room between classes and just like during lunch, like, oh, Star uh, Star Trek reruns on at 12 o'clock. I'll watch that. So It became very popular via word of mouth and reruns. So that was part one of a conversation where all of a sudden Gene Roddenberry, the show's creator, was like, maybe we can redo this and start a new show. And then Star Wars came out in 1977 and became the biggest thing ever. And Paramount, the studio, uh, I don't know exactly how they obtained the rights for the film, but they... Uh, saw that happen and they were like "Uh, we need to do that we need to make hundreds of millions of dollars and make a space thing Um, what do we have and somebody in the boardroom was like I think we own the rights to Star Trek so they decided to make a movie so Star Wars is really kind of directly responsible for (laughs) launching Star Trek's film franchise but also Star Trek's Second Life but it got off to a rough start and this is a I did Star Trek The Motion Picture with some wonderful friends of mine, TC and Leah. I think it's it was during the actually the 40th anniversary of that film. We're now celebrating the 40th anniversary of Wrath of Khan, but you can go check that out. We talk a little bit about it, but Star Trek The Motion Picture, the first film, was going to be a big budget answer to star Wars, but it was going to be more intellectual. It was going to follow the path of Stanley Kubrick's 2001, a space odyssey and Mm. be the opposite of star Wars. But what happened was because there were so many script problems and the production, the budget was just kind of ballooning out of control. This film was released in 1979 and was kind of a dud like it brought back the cast and fans were really excited but the movie itself and again there are people out there who are star trek fans who love the motion picture i get it i do enjoy it despite what i'm about to say but the reality is star trek the motion picture is a very um cold and dull movie Mm -hmm. um how do I say it? My friend and I would have, uh, like, in high school, we would have sleepovers, and it would get to be about 5, 6 in the morning where we're like, oh, my God, we need to go to sleep, but we're, like, totally wired. What do we do? Oh, put on Star Trek The Motion Picture, and I'm not joking. Within the first 15 minutes, we would be completely passed out.
1: It, uh, oh, my it, God.
0: <laughs> yeah, It gained a reputation for being called Star Trek The Motionless
1: Picture. Oh, my goodness. Yeah.
0: Wow. Um, All that said, I highly recommend watching it at some point. It's just not the movie. Definitely not the first thing I would show a Star Trek skeptic. So it does moderately well at the box office. It's a kind of a bomb with critics. Fans are kind of cold to it, too. They're like, eh, it lacks the charm and the fun of the TV series, which frankly... I think the original series is really, really good, but it has some really campy, goofy episodes as well. But it but when okay. it works, it's fantastic.
1: I watched it primarily for, for the uh for the Velcro that, that uh the guns were stuck to just so I can hear it go <laughs> And then that's that's the only reason why I watched it. This that. is
0: cutting edge technology. <laughs> the 23rd, 24th century, whatever the hell century it is. This is, everything is Velcro, Amber. You know this. You came from that century exactly. to give us the technology I gave Star that Trek Velcro. You did. Thank you. Yes. God bless you for that. Um, so Star Trek Two. there are conversations about, all right, we know this franchise is lucrative. We know there's money to be made. But we also know we can't make another giant, expensive, big budget bomb of a movie. So what happens is Paramount kind of pushes Gene Roddenberry to the side. Gene Roddenberry had a lot of control on the first movie and made it all this intellectual gobbledygook that kind of messed the movie up. And... A producer, I guess, who worked for Paramount, Harv Bennett, was put in charge of Star Trek. They were basically like, "Can you make it cheaper and better?" And he was like, "Yeah, sure." He worked in TV; he knew exactly about how to make a uh, a smaller budget go a long way, if that makes sense. So, Harv Bennett, who didn't know anything about Star Trek, sat down, watched all of the episodes, and was like, "Okay, I think I get it." And then they hired a director who had also never heard. Of star trek or had heard of it but didn't know much about star trek they call them his name is nicholas meyer and they called him on the phone to pitch him the idea and he goes star trek is that the one with the the pointy eared guy and they were like yes that's it so you have these two star trek noobs come into the picture and are given the keys to the kingdom of the star trek cinematic enterprise oh I didn't even mean to do that I'm gonna pretend I did I could cut this whole thing out and make myself (laughs) seem brilliant but I'm not going to I want everyone to know just how silly I am but basically these guys and they weren't condescending they looked at it and they as filmmakers and storytellers they said okay now that we've sat down and we've watched every episode of the show the original series here is what we think works about star trek and why people love it and they boiled it down to the essentials and they made it for cheaper so i'm just going to warn you some of the stuff in this movie does look cheap it was 1982 but even even by 1982 standards some of the stuff is dated but what they got right was the spirit of star trek and we're going to talk about a lot of this in part two, because again, I don't want to spoil it. And we've been I've been at least yammering on for God knows how long. I think we've been here for hours just talking about <laughs> the pre-show of the of the movie. But what you need to know is it was the perfect combination of people with fresh perspective coming into this franchise and having just enough reverence for it without being kind of like we have to adhere to these very strict rules. They brought some freshness to it. And as a result, the film was much better received. It it revived the franchise and basically saved it from oblivion and has gone down to this day as the best Star Trek movie and also, frankly, one of the best science fiction movies ever. And I... Uh,
1: I'm so excited.
0: I'm very excited for you to see it because I really think like... If you see nothing else of Star Trek, and I know this is there's a lot out there and there's a lot of great stuff, but if you were to say to me, Sean, get just give me something that I can watch that's two hours that I can just get a feel for what Star Trek is, this is it. Like this is what I would tell you to watch. It's the Wrath of Khan, um, and so I'm very excited to see what you think about it. Now I'm
1: super excited now, like even more now,
0: so. Now I want you to without knowing much about this movie, mm-hmm. I will tell you that it is it is inspired by an episode of the series where they meet Khan for the first time. This is a semi-sequel to that episode. It's called Space Seed. You can watch that before you watch this movie if you want. I think it's on Paramount Plus or streaming somewhere. Um, you don't have to, though. This movie functions without you knowing needing to know the background. But I want you... Just oh, I'm knowing definitely these little going bits, to go for it. I think that would be awesome and come back and we can talk about both the the episode and the movie. But I want you to try to guess what Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan is about with your knowledge of Star Trek as limited as it may be. And knowing what the title is, mm. uh, tell me, tell me, just guess, guesstimate. No judgments here. What do you think Star Trek 2 is about?
1: Ooh. That's such an interesting question. Okay, so so just deriving from what the title is, I'm assuming Khan is upset over <laughs> <laughs> over something in which that it would be titled the Wrath. So mm-hmm. I don't. I've heard Khan um, referenced before, mm-hmm. um, just from like Star Trekkies like they you know they they I've heard the name be dropped. Okay. Um, I'm assuming the Enterprise did something to a planet to make them really <laughs> mad. And I'm assuming Khan is either the name of a species or it's the name of this certain person. Oh, on
0: a man. planet
1: and uh I'm assuming am, is is this answering your question keep, by no, the way? keep going okay. You're, this is great
0: this is great please keep going
1: and and I'm assuming that um they got him really mad and now they're gonna be at some sort of war and uh within that I'm sure just like every other star Trek episode uh Um, does it 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 explores um, diversity and and uh, and unveils you know deep questions under the veil of of science fiction and Mm -hmm. and then they you know they tie it all together as like you know first of all I love Star Trek because as we start to venture out to become an interplanetary
0: species right. which is
1: which is what we are are meant to be like there's no choice we either do or we die on this planet
0: we um, the, the point is we want to meet other aliens and fall in love with them and, right uh, well, we i mean just...
1: that is such an oh my gosh we can go on a <laughs> tangent about how we're going to procreate with other <laughs> alien species which i don't know if it's ever possible but but as we go out into the cosmos this is a real question that we have to think of because you know a lot of people don't like the idea of colonization like that term mm. to colonize right yeah. because you know it, it, every almost um, every culture has been colonized or been the colonizer um, and we'd like to avoid that as much as humanly possible um, which is you know humans, can only do so much um, going forward. So, if we were to um, come across an intelligent species, because you know, it, there's a, there's a, a likelihood that we might have life here in our solar system, mm-hmm. whether or not it's intelligent is probably a low likelihood. We would have probably seen some kind of like signature or something that would let us know that there was intelligent life, but
0: right. And you're not future, allowed to tell us if there is, because right. you're from because the future and, it would and cause right. a major paradox. Exactly. And it would Butterfly effect,
1: time. you yeah. know, exactly. So, so as we go into the far future, And if we were to come across an intelligent species, we have to approach this um, in a very, very sensitive way. Like there are, the great thing about science is you're not only answering questions, but you're finding new questions to ask. So as we uh, go out into the cosmos and we come across an intelligent species, we don't want to get them mad, you know, because we don't know what this species is capable of.
0: Oh, um, I've seen and- Independence Day. I know oh, all about this. I
1: love Independence Day. It's great. Um, I love it. Um, but but the hope is to become, you know, as Star Trek is, to, to be able to um, – to coexist mm. with whatever these intelligent species are. Hopefully, you know, hopefully we will be able to communicate with them, you know, just in the beginning. And it, just cultures within, uh, on Earth, you know, you something colloquial to us, which is completely um, innocent, could be absolutely offensive to to another culture just here on Earth. So I can't even imagine what it would be like for, for um, aliens. So I'm assuming we got that wrong with the wrath of Khan. and wouldn't figure it out. So
0: that's my
1: final answer. That's a long winded answer for we piss someone off.
0: All of this is incredible. And I, and thank you so much for, for everything you just said. Um, that is all. I just want to be clear. That is all, you know, about the wrath of Khan is yeah. what you've guessed and you don't know anything else. Nope. About it. I, I, Could not be more excited to see what you think about this movie. Now
1: I'm even more excited. The fact that you brought up that question means that I've probably derived the movie incorrectly, which makes (laughs) me more excited to watch it to see. how I failed, and then to see why
0: <laughs> no, I Amber, don't understand you, what Ravi- Let's be clear. You do not fail. You never <laughs> fail. You have found an alternative way of interpreting... Interpretating? I can't even say words correctly because I'm so blown away by everything you've just said about what you think is going to happen with interplanetary species and all sorts of wonderful things so
1: it's it's my favorite it's my favorite subject search the point is
0: you're not failing ever um and uh yes i think you're going to be in for a treat with this film which we will discuss when we return but also i want to point out that this is also we decided to do this movie to celebrate the 40th anniversary and i think maybe the week after we decided to do this kirstie alley died and this was her Mm -hmm. first movie ever Um, she had I think she'd been in Cheers at this point but this was definitely her first film so yeah it's kind of nice that we get to honor her memory by doing this as well I love that yeah we're gonna watch the Wrath of Khan we'll be back and Amber I like I said I'm very excited to see what you think of it I'm stoked now available to own on video cassette Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky Lucky And we're back. Amber, how do you feel about Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan? Tell me everything.
1: Um, It's amazing. I mean, I... So, okay. Let me start from the beginning. First yes, of all, please. I said that I knew Star Trek. And then I watched this and I was like, wow. I knew that I wasn't like Trekkie level, but now I'm like really not even I can't even claim even the S in the Star Trek. So <laughs> But you so, know what?
0: This is you've taken your first step into a larger world. And yes, I am using a Star Wars quote to express the importance of this journey you've embarked on. So thank you. that's great. So don't feel bad. I mean, this is everyone has to start somewhere and there are a few better places to start than this movie.
1: Yeah, I feel I feel like I've I've watched too little, too scattered too many episodes of Star Trek. And now that I watched the movie, I was like, okay, now I really have to watch it from the beginning all the way through. Yes. So like, cause there's so many, I know that there's Easter eggs that I'm missing. I know that there's little things that I'm like, well, why did he do that? So
0: I was going to ask, did you end up watching space seed before or did I you just didn't, go? Into I this? didn't have,
1: I didn't have time, but now I'm like, okay,
0: but it still, like, works. I have to watch it. Yeah. it, no, still, no, works. it still You works. can understand it.
1: Yeah, so just as a film standalone alone film, it's great. But I know, like, just from the series that you would be able to appreciate it so much more
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, if you really, really understood like the characters. Um, right. So I'm gonna have yeah. to go back, do it all over again, watch it from the <laughs> beginning, and then I'll watch because because this aired like something like ten years after the original.
0: Yeah, this was um, so. Ended. This was 1982. This mm-hmm. and the show ended, I think, in '68. So I want to say th- about 15 years or okay. so, if I'm doing yeah. the math correctly, and I probably am not doing the math correctly, but I think we're at about that 14, 15 years. So wow! And it it's supposed to be time. something
1: like two years later or something.
0: No, it actually takes place uh, the, the same amount of time later. Oh, so,
1: right, 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 right. Yeah, I remember Khan saying that it was like 15 years ago or something. Yeah, he and they really, planet. and
0: this this was something Shatner was, they had to convince Shatner to go this route because he was very concerned about portraying Kirk as like an older, a little more morose and depressed individual. And they had to basically uh, convince him that it was the best he wanted to still play younger he wanted to be like no 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 i'm i'm still the swashbuckling young man that i was when we were filming this show in 1966 and they were like probably not let's just go this route but if i'm so glad they did because so much of Mm. what i think makes this film so moving is kirk's story of feeling that sense of of weight and burden from his uh, his age, from yeah. the path his career has taken. And, and it's
1: completely, it seems like it's completely different than, uh, you know, movies in that time were taking, you know, yeah. in the sense that, you know, they were really highlighting this real part of, one, a man's life too. You know, every everybody's going to go through a midlife crisis, you know, mm. probably. Maybe not everybody, but, you know, to be able to highlight it in like, the male eyes and for a to an audience especially the trekkies that grew up watching him as this super young strapping young man like just like coming and then to see him age is just like i think that's like a whole level another level of storytelling probably for that time too
0: yeah it's true because you're thinking about like you know you had, as far as Star Wars goes, you have Luke Skywalker, who's very young, Han right. Solo, very young, very handsome, very, yeah. like, And then very Indiana, much Jones. I- Indiana Jones. Indiana yeah. Jones, like, all these heroes coming out at that time. And then to have a, a character like Star, or in Star Trek with Kirk, to be, for them to lean into it even and yeah. to acknowledge it. Um, and even with the actor protesting and being like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. It was, you're right. It was, yeah. it feels like a pretty bold, move to go that route but it's again i think that's what has made the best of star trek most effective this is always what makes star trek work is the exploration of very human ideas Mm. behind like you know there's spectacle and there's fun and there are lasers and spaceships and stuff but i really think that's what people who are maybe more dismissive of the franchise miss about what makes star trek so unique is this willingness to address these kinds of things and i think the original series certainly did do that there are great episodes of the of the original series but Wrath of Khan was a breakthrough for the franchise in many ways but not the least of which was really emphasizing that um the original series had some ideas. It used the the format of science fiction as a means to kind of not be preachy, but to like address life lessons and things that were like happening at the time and kind of commenting on social issues without, you know, they got away with it because they were under the guise of science fiction. But I think The Wrath of Khan was the first time it really came to the forefront in a very, very profound way way people may disagree with me about that but I really think this is another level of storytelling for the franchise
1: yeah no I agree I think I mean Mm -hmm. admittedly I, I haven't watched enough Star Trek to be able to like compare it but just knowing like just the film itself and the time that it was in you can tell that it was another level of storytelling just from the film itself and so I I like I said, I have to re-educate myself so the Trekkies don't attack me on the streets. <laughs> no, <you're laughs> really, I'm a little afraid. Really
0: they're <laughs> they're going to be so excited that someone so cool is joining the, oh the ongoing mission to seek out new life. and new... You're actually on the mission. You're seeking out new life and new civilizations all the time. As a time traveler, uh, this is what you do on exactly. a regular basis so they're just going to be really happy that you've embraced this um but i want to start from the beginning of the movie so the okay. opening scene we get Kirsty alley right off the bat how lovely to see her and uh, she's she's really she was a major star trek fan and she was very very excited to get this role she apparently in her audition did an impression of leonard nimoy um Stop. to get the role <laughs> yeah and i wish there was an audition tape somewhere i was
1: gonna say w- uh, what 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 did she imitate? i I'm, I'm a, I wanna know what she impersonated.
0: I I I you and me both. So I, I don't know if anyone out there in in on the internet has any way to get this this footage, um, this audition footage. I would love to see it and I think Yes, that would please be enlighten us. A really wonderful way to to honor her memory. But it's I, I it's so great that um The movie. There was all this controversy surrounding the movie, and we are going to get into Spock's death because I, you know, you not knowing anything about the movie. Did you know Spock died at the end of the movie? So okay, we will get into that. I I couldn't (laughs) in the first part. I think the amount of glee that is coming through on my part is because I'm realizing that no one had spoiled this, or you hadn't gotten this movie spoiled for you. No. Because everybody knows, it's like, oh, Spock dies in The Wrath of Khan. And even when they were filming it, there was a lot of controversy because Leonard Nimoy had kind of, he'd grown exhausted of the franchise. He was tired of being Spock. He didn't want to be in it anymore. And the way they brought him back, the way they convinced him to come back is they were like, how about, we write you how would you feel about acting out a great death scene and he was like oh all right okay kill me off this will be the last star trek movie that sounds great um but fans caught wind of spock getting killed and there were like they were sending the writers and the producers death threats like basically if you kill spock we will kill you and stuff along those lines and it was it got that bad so the opening scene in a way was an attempt to basically pull a fast one on the fans and be like, oh Spock died, but he didn't really die. So you're sitting in the theater watching and uh, you're thinking to yourself, oh, this must be what they were talking about. Spock died, but he didn't really die. It was all it was all just a simulation. But how did you feel about that opening scene?
1: Yeah, I, I was really confused. I was like, oh, I was like, okay, first of all, can I just talk about um, Captain Kirk's reveal? In the beginning, I was yes. like, "Okay." The pauses that they took at the beginning of the feel of the film was one thousand percent so the audience could cheer, yes. because because they made it really great reveals for everybody. So when they just killed everybody off, I was like, <laughs> "I am so confused." <laughs> and then like and then <laughs> and then his voice appears, or is it, that's all you hear is the voice, then he's just yes. like lights on, and it's like this awesome reveal. And so, so Silhouetted,
0: yeah. back, the backlit shot of him just appearing behind the screen. It was so it's
1: epic. It was so epic. I was like, okay, if I was in the movie, the movie theater in the eighties, I also would have cheered. <laughs> so so they nailed it. So I actually I was confused but but uh I was redeemed. So
0: I I love that um cuz the like now it's so hard because I know it's it's a simulation but I remember I I do have memories of watching it as a teenager thinking it was kind of funny that like everyone died. Like I was just like what is happening? <laughs> like there are explosions going off and Spock has a mo- like his explosion goes off and he stands and he's like oh my back and then he falls over and I'm like oh I guess that killed him. I just remember thinking it was kind of funny and then it's like oh well it's a simulation they're all pretending. But I yeah. love that. I love that it got you it they got committed. I mean, Yeah, they committed to the bit and it worked. So I I love that as an opening. I love it as a uh Cop out, like, or not a cop out, but basically just like tricking the audience, fooling the audience, and opening with such an absurdly bold idea of like, what if the first scene of the movie we just kill everybody? everybody. <laughs> and then you reveal, oh, it's the Kobayashi Maru test. And then I love the way they kind of make that a running theme throughout the movie. Yes. If Kirk has been, you know, what's the story of how Kirk beat this unbeatable test. And you find out later on that he never actually beat it. He changed the rules. He cheated and he reprogrammed it so he could win. And then he has to face the no win scenario in real life. And I I just love that this fun opening scene that's a little goofy, but a really creative way to open the film becomes thematically important throughout Mm. the rest of the picture. It becomes a major Theme and a major development of kirk's character yeah
1: they they did such a good job of of really highlighting um the theme of of death you know life and death from you know down to the the genesis device um yeah all of it just like that that simulation you know Kirk going through a midlife crisis, all of it like the even down to the to the eyeglasses like yeah. like as a prop. That was really great too. It was just like they did such a good job.
0: Yeah, agreed. And I love um McCoy like j- just their conversation early mm. on uh discussing it. The the familiarity between the two of them, the friendship and the humor and the Romulan mm. Ale why bones, you know this is illegal and uh just that conversation of just him kind of like calling him out and being like you are you know you're hiding from who you really are and you need to get your command back and da-da-da. and the eyeglasses is great i love um it always makes me laugh when uh, during the first confrontation with khan when he is looking at the 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 console the computer console and he's like i ah, damn it. And he has to put the gl- eyeglasses on and show how old he is to everybody. But...
1: It's it's so funny though. Like, like there's yes. little things like that um, in sci-fi is that make me giggle. Cause it's like, we probably won't have eyeglasses in the future. You know, like it's, <laughs> it's very likely that they're not going to, maybe, I don't know. Uh, well, they but... won't,
0: they don't, they have uh you know, they make a comment about it where uh, McCoy is like, usually for patients who are losing eyesight, I, uh, uh, Prescribe retin x6 and he's like oh i'm allergic to that so it's like ah this old antique the eyeglasses
1: oh the... i miss i must have <laughs> yeah. missed that yeah oh yeah. wow so that's they a treat great it workaround. as
0: a, they treat it as an antique because you're absolutely right it's like okay but geordie has a super future visor which i know that's like however many years later 80 years yeah. or whatever next generation but yes it's a very good point but no they reference it it's a it's an antique pair of eyeglasses
1: Oh, I, I guess I and I must have just completely missed that. But that's brilliant <laughs> okay. that they, they did that work around.
0: Yes, it's it, no, it's totally fine. So um how did you feel about uh Khan himself, Ricardo Montalban? Was was he worthy of being the film's title?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, one, his performance was absolutely amazing. I think one of his was probably the strongest performance amongst everybody's. Um, And two, I mean, I was staring at that man's chest. I was like, (laughs) is that real? I I could not figure it out. It, um,
0: It is. It was a topic of much debate amongst Star Trek fans, amongst film fans. Is Ricardo Montalban's chest real? And Nicholas Meyer, the director of this film, has confirmed that yes, that is wow. his real chest. Did he? Did yes. he
1: put makeup? Like, like it was just like I was, I was, I was fascinated. That was the first thing I was like, wow. It's
0: it's is. hard. It's hard not to like. It, it's amazing, frankly, that you're able to discuss the film so coherently because many people, I think, are so fixated on the chest that it just it completely outshines and outweighs everything else in the film. And you kind of have to take a moment to be like, wait, I don't think I've absorbed any of this. The chest is powerful.
1: I mean, for him being a genetically modified human, I feel like (laughs) they're like, let's see your chest. Okay. That looks like a genetically modified human's chest. (laughs) You get the role.
0: Exactly. Um, I think they they realized they were like, we're going to have to make him genetically altered because there's no way to explain how amazing (laughs) his chest is. So maybe that came in after the fact.
1: Yeah, uh, but but yeah, I thought that he was perfect. He was an insanely good villain, and yeah, his performance really, I think, outshone like pretty pretty much everybody else's. He Um, just
0: he gets the opportunity to be like he's he's scenery chewing, but it's it's not like over the top. Yeah, like he is relishing. Every moment he's on screen and the way you want all the best villains to do like, you know, and, and, and the best Bond movies, the villain is usually a highlight of the film. And it's the same thing, all the especially in a movie that's a little, you know, it's a little more fantastical and you can get away with that. Yeah, it's it's always a lot of fun, but you have to strike the right balance, because if you go too far, it becomes hokey. It becomes almost a, a parody of itself. And uh Ricardo Montalban walks that line mm. so well. He's so imposing and he's such a threat and he's so um powerful. But. You kind, I kind of get this like little sense of glee and I know part of it is the chest I am 100% admitting that uh, that my man crush on Ricardo Montalban is a result of the chest but like it is also it's just it's a delight to watch him perform mm. even yeah. though the character is doing you know horrible horrible things it's just it's one of my favorite performances in any film. I agree with you. I think it's a highlight of the movie.
1: Yeah. And I mean, his his lines too. I had to go back and um, look up because I know that Star Trek uh, pulls a lot of quotes from like Shakespeare and yes. stuff like that. So yeah. I had to go back um, at the end and pull his quote because I was like, okay, this is clearly like some sort of defining character thing that I'm, I'm missing. Mm-hmm. So, so I looked it up and I saw that it was a Moby Dick reference. And then I remember that they, that they showed like, um, when they were on, what is it? SETI alpha five. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Um, that he, the books and I remember seeing Moby Dick and I was like, Oh wow, mm. this is like a whole reference
0: they they did a great job and i never yeah. noticed that actually i'm really surprised you caught that i i haven't noticed that moby dick was amongst the books on the shelf that's so yeah. cool that's something where on paper it could be like oh it's a little pretentious and star trek sometimes goes there and it for some reason it always works with star trek but the, you mm-hmm. know from hell's what is it from hell's heart i stab at the. he delivers it as if it's it's an Oscar winning moment you know it's Mm -hmm. like there's no he's not winking at the camera he's not uh like this is a little ridiculous isn't it It, it, he sells it Mm -hmm. and there's a part of me that's like how I think in in the years since the film's release with critics and film fans kind of like easing up a bit and toning down the snobbishness this is a performance that can be recognized as one of the greats. Like, it's okay to put mm. him on the same level as whatever other great performance you want to say, because I really, I really think it's fantastic. And I love, you know, Star Trek is famous for it, but I love the Moby Dick quotes, the Charles Dickens, like all this stuff. It, and it's all used for the story. Like, it co- right. all comes back. It's not just showing off, like, oh, we're very literary, we're very intellectual. It all comes back to serve the story when kirk quotes the end of um a tale of two cities at the end of the the move like the final scene of the everyone kind of looking out at the planet um
1: oh it i miss means that. something
0: yeah when he's uh, it's a far better re- resting place than i've uh, ever been um whatever the uh, the quote is
1: Oh wow, um, I'm going to have to go back and, and look at that one too. It's
0: really it's a really lovely moment. Um it re- referencing there like is that a po-? Carol says is that a poem and he said no, it's just something Spock was trying to tell me on my me. birthday. Oh, and yeah. that was the the gift that Spock had given him. Star Trek has always been really really good at that and I think unfortunately because of its more literary qualities, it's also been pegged as like, oh, it's a little slow and boring. And I think, you know, if if I were to criticize Wrath of Khan, I think there are some moments in the beginning where the pacing is a little slower. Maybe yeah. it's just because we're so programmed to be used to fast pace. And to be fair, I just rewatched the 2009 Star Trek, which oh. is like if if original Star Trek is like maybe classical jazz star trek 09 is rock and roll like so it's a very different feel but i wanted to ask you did you feel there was any pacing issues or were you completely invested were you into it like did the pacing work for you yeah
1: i 1000 thought it was slow i was like (laughs) i was watching it and i was like oh man i am real confused and this is like the pacing has taken a little bit long i was like it's gonna it I know something amazing amazing is gonna happen but but it but yeah they really drew out those scenes and I think you're thousand percent right in the sense that we are now programmed for you know big action scenes things to happen very quickly and it was just shot differently back then mm. um, yeah. but I also think that they really took their time for a reason um, I think that they wanted the audience to catch things they wanted the audience to really like you know, taken the characters and everything like that. So I don't know, maybe the pacing could have been um, quickened. Uh, but, but yeah, it was, it was a little bit, it was a little bit difficult at first. Cause I was like, this is, yes. this is taking a while. I'm with but, you.
0: I'm with you. Yeah. I, uh, I love the movie and I'm with you. And w- what was the point where it kind of won you over? Like where you were kind of like, Oh, okay. I get it now. Like I'm into it now.
1: Um, I think, Hmm. I mean, it definitely uh, caught my eye when they put the bugs in the ears. Those yes. worm things. I was like, this is disgusting. <laughs>
0: it's, that is a major, major creep out moment. Yeah.
1: I was like, what the
0: heck? And this is very, giving me mummy vibes. Yeah. And it's very... Um, you know, Star Trek has little elements of body horror like the original series but mm-hmm. nothing on that level that was definitely a whole other level for star trek to have like something crawling inside your ear and then eventually crawling out and all that stuff is very grotesque in a way that is uh, is is very thrilling but also disgusting
1: yeah uh yeah so i think that that was the point that kind of like woke me up, but it, honestly, whenever they start talking about like terraforming and things like that, I'm like, oh, <laughs> how are like, they going to terraform it. the planet? Wait, so when you I need were
0: when they were talking about Genesis and bringing up the little video, which yeah. by the way, that was, was so the, good. Yeah, that was also the first, I believe, it was the first time a completely computer generated sequence had been in a film was uh the the genesis effect that video they watched of the planet being terraformed yeah i was
1: actually pretty impressed because i mean you know i I know computer graphics you know in the 80s were not the greatest but i was (laughs) like it looked like uh topography yeah looking at it and i was like this is really well done it looks like something like a, a a lidar satellite would take now so i was like this is pretty good um but I really liked that they, I mean, I love when they incorporate, you know, any kind of s- space technology. I'm like, ooh, how do they do it? I want to see how they do it. Um, <laughs> and they didn't go into detail, but I was like, Wah. well.
0: Well, but- of course. Yeah, they're like, yeah, it, uh, it creates a new planet. How? Um, you know, <laughs> molecules and and stuff. <laughs> I was going to ask you, who did you side with in the uh, the Genesis conversation? Did you feel like... McCoy was more on point where it's like what are we doing? We shouldn't have mm. this kind of power. Were you more on Spock's side like kind of mm. like oh well this is very interesting. How do you feel? Is the Genesis project in theory as somebody who <laughs> loves this stuff. How do you feel about the idea as a concept?
1: Oh, okay. Well, this is a whole whole conversation, <laughs> but but I honestly thought McCoy and um Spock's conversation they did a really good job at making a good argument for both sides. Yeah. So, so listening to it, I was like, okay, yeah, that was that. I mean, I agree because the thing is with, um, terraforming, you have to be okay with potentially killing off another species for humans. Mm. Um, and you know, there's these, uh, there's people called planetary protection scientists and it's not to be confused with planetary defenders planetary defenders are the people that you know send dart to crash into an asteroid in order to you know make sure that in the future an asteroid won't pummel earth planetary protection um scientists actually make sure you know we're not bringing anything from earth to say mars or the moon mm. to contaminate it
0: gotcha okay so
1: terraforming one who freaking knows how we're gonna do it you know you're you have to build an entire <laughs> i mean you atmosphere. saw the video you uh, saw you the just, Genesis video you it's you very clear plug in the the big pill looking you, you press and the it button
0: and it works and yeah, then there's up. leaves and then there's creatures
1: <laughs> and it's all fun um yeah so so actually terraforming is something that i'm super interested in and i mean I can I can get into it but um a former NASA chief scientist his name is Jim Green he has a he really thinks that we could one not only terraform Mars but he's a big component uh or um what am I trying to say a- advocate. advocate advocate for terraforming Venus as well so mm-hmm. so there's ways that you can do it um but Whatever it is that you're going to be drastically changing the planet, and it's not going to happen overnight. Right. Like you know, they barely plugged in that Genesis thing, and they're like, "Oh, we have plants," and all of a sudden, there's animals that right. you know evolved <laughs> out of nowhere. And it's just like this is going to take you know thousands of years for right. an atmosphere to be able to to build and then to protect that atmosphere. Like for Mars, for example, once they get the atmosphere up, the reason Mars, well, they think. The reason Mars lost its atmosphere is um, the solar wind stripped it away. So you have to figure out how are you going to protect Mars from solar wind? So put a giant, some kind of like deflector uh, Um, to be able to protect Mars. But yeah, so terraforming isn't as easy as star trek made it but obviously it's <laughs>
0: but we can they're, aspire they're on time yeah we can aspire to the day and age we can aspire you know to the 23rd century and i'm guessing again since you have come here from the future to be a part right. of my podcast which again i really appreciate that's You're a welcome. that means a lot to me um i understand that you can't tell me whether or not this has been Solved, instantaneous exactly. terraforming, because like, you don't want to throw off the space-time continuum. You we know, don't want to ruin. It. Exactly, we can't do that. So I, I, I get it, and I appreciate your concern.
1: I yes, you're welcome. um <laughs> I also, I also thought it was interesting that they used the Genesis device, and it was that. You know it's to revive all of these dead microbes right on these mm. dead planets but right. if there's anything living it's gonna destroy it i thought that was a really interesting concept to yeah. throw it in there because it's true you know if you terraform like a planet you're gonna destroy whatever life is there because it's you know evolved to be in those conditions yeah so so and it that's like we were talking about before that was another really brilliant way that they brought in life and death even mm. the name genesis i thought that was extraordinarily smart
0: yeah and i love i do love the the con conver- you know spock says you know the wrong hands and uh, mccoy says the wrong hands whose are the right hands for controlling this kind of thing
1: Ooh, and that's that's brilliant
0: yeah, it's always bringing in the philosophical debate of like what is what is right, what is wrong, what yeah. is what is ethical when it comes to this kind of stuff. And, and that's
1: um, that's one of the biggest struggles with science is uh, because it can be militarized so easily, mm. you know, and that was, you know, I thought that was a great uh, conversation that they touched on because even it's extraordinarily relevant today, what we're doing in low earth orbit, what we're doing on, on the moon. You know, and beyond is it's it's starting to get militarized, and it yeah. at this point it, it it's it's becoming like, well, you know, other people are militarizing space. We have to in order to protect ourselves, and yeah. it's just this cycle. And so I love that they touched on that. I thought that was really yeah. cool.
0: And again, we talked about it a little bit, but G, you know, Gene Roddenberry, he he got a little high and mighty on his concept, but it is, it, it's really nice to believe in this kind of future where it's well we've put aside our differences and we're doing all of this for the the greater good and star trek 2 kind of it changes the franchise a bit because and from this point on it's interesting to see how the series change or the the franchise the film franchise and the series changes but wrath of khan really sets it on a new course of like you know it's very it's much more action oriented. It's much more focused on like a particular antagonist, a little less on broader ideas. Like the first Star Trek film, the villain is basically a, a, a giant spaceship that is very pretty and has lots of lights and crazy psychedelic special effects shows inside mm-hmm. it. But it's not a defined villain. So Star Trek Two, mm-hmm. I think some people could argue the franchise kind of moved away, particularly the films from bigger ideas and a little bit more focused on like bad guy versus good guy. Um, But I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing. And I think the important thing is they're still discussing the important ideas underneath all of this. That's still coming through. But for me personally, where the movie starts to get real exciting is um, Khan's first, attack on the enterprise when he mm-hmm. catches them off guard and then the way kirk plays him to get the better of khan uh with the uh, the prefix codes where they figure out a way to outsmart khan by lowering khan's shields using their own computer consoles it's such a fun and thoughtful f- again star yeah. trek is about like how do we collaborate and come up with ideas to outsmart the challenges we're facing and it's such a great but boiled down it's such a great moment i really really love that scene it's one of my favorites in the movie but um i also really love them they go to the space station and suddenly the movie becomes like a horror film um, mm. with like all the dead bodies and like for some reason there's a rat on the space station
1: <laughs> watch and i was like uh <laughs> I was it's like, where is Not that like, even
0: a space rat. It's was, just a rat.
1: I was like, "Am I missing something?" I was like, "I'm going to rewatch <laughs> Star Trek from the beginning just to figure out why they have a rat on the spaceship." You like, yes,
0: you clearly you missed something. I um, missed you something. Know, rats, rats in Star Trek are very, very important. Um, yes, I thought that was funny. As like you know, it's it's in there as kind of a little jump scare moment. Like oh rat! But it's then you're like, wait, why is there a rat here? Like do does the Federation have problems well it's not the Federation it's an independent uh, science project but it's like do they have problems cleaning their space stations like there are rats is this a pet rat like how did this get on board are they experimenting right. on the rat is that happening in the 23rd century still we I wonder that? Yeah. actually
1: I wonder because this is where life has already started springing up right um Oh no this is not oh no I'm thinking. I'm mixing two later and two on. together. Yeah, light, yeah, later on when they,
0: they go in. They I was down, like, yeah. maybe
1: the rat got in because of the planetoid. But May, then well, I'm like, maybe oh, right, they created
0: the rat. Like maybe they were like, ah, life from death. We brought this rat back to life. Yeah, <laughs> You know, yeah. whatever. Well, we can come up. You know what? The Star Trek fans out there, I'm sure there is probably a whole wiki page devoted to this rat, to rat. and why it exists and justifying its existence <laughs> on the space station. But I love, I, I, you know the reason Wrath of Khan works so well and feels so uh, it revitalizes Star Trek or it did revitalize Star Trek is there's so much that's not quite that wasn't really part of the show's landscape like the show never really delved into horror that much a Mm. tiny bit but not like this not like where you're finding dead bodies hanging from this you know the railings and people are like sealed up inside tiny boxes and then you know the ear stuff it's really it's very very good and very very effective um and i really love the way it's shot i just wanted to bring up that sequence did you enjoy that did it make you? Did it give you the heebie-jeebies?
1: It it uh it did. I get the heebie-jeebies very easily, which is why <laughs> I love old sci-fi's because I'm like, that's not real. Um,
0: but <laughs> so this tricked you. It threw yeah, you off. Yeah, it,
1: tri- it it threw you me off. Like, I was like, damn Wait. It. Exactly. Exactly. It. if through my I my eyes. It's fine. I'm okay. That's
0: good. You're good. You're okay. We made it through. <laughs> uh, they beam down to the planet and then we meet, uh, well, we didn't, we don't meet them. We've already met them, but Kirk is reunited with his, his old flame. How did you feel about Carol Marcus and uh, Kirk's son, David, and that revelation that Kirk has a son that uh, he hasn't been, been with he stayed away from the family because carol asked him to how did you feel about all that
1: was that them because this was made after star wars right
0: yeah it was after the first star wars and empire strikes back
1: so so is this them trying to be like oh luke's your father well kirk (laughs) has a son like
0: maybe is that
1: their way of like doing that i was like well
0: i i don't think it was that i think The way I take it is this is a movie about the past coming back to haunt Mm. you. And amongst, you know, the other things we've discussed, like the idea of facing death and mortality and things like that, you know, Kirk abandoned, he marooned Khan and Khan's posse on this planet and never went back. He essentially abandoned them. And he didn't intentionally, well, he did intentionally abandon his son, but at the urging of carol who yeah. uh, carol marcus who insisted you know she tells him um you had your world i had mine and i wanted him in my world and so kirk you know he acknowledges i did what you wanted i stayed away so you know it's dealing with the theme again of kirk's growing older now he's a father that yeah. responsibility but also like this past relationship that he had is coming back into the forefront and this son that he never knew is coming back into his life yeah. just like this enemy he abandoned and left behind and all that stuff so that's how i kind of took it is it's another layer of kirk's journey as a a character who is facing the past reopening old wounds as he makes the joke to mccoy um this movie is very well written i love the one-liners in it but oh it's
1: so good i wrote down a bunch because i'm like i need to just say these in real life
0: yeah like, all the time they're yeah, like so McCoy, good. as a as a doctor or as a medical professional you should know the uh the dangers of reopening old wounds and, right um, <laughs> which is also after the great elevator sequence when um kirstie alley yeah it's what's her name why i'm forgetting her name
1: uh like, Sa- sav savik yeah
0: um yeah. she they're talking and she's like may i ask what you did to the with the kobayashi maru and he goes you may ask and that has that little cocky that cocky moment of like And they just like leave <laughs> And then yeah and no response whatsoever. Um but but I digress. That's what I took it all yeah. as is just the um the the past coming back to haunt you, just a, a reinforcement of that idea. And it's a very, you know David throughout the film is just very antagonistic towards Kirk, but there's there's the really beautiful kind of culminating moment with the two of them. Um, in in Kirk's cabin just kind of that moment where he kind mm. of brings Kirk back from the abyss following Spock's death and encourages yeah. him and tells him he's proud to be his son it's a very moving emotional moment
1: yeah it's brilliant and they also did an impeccable job of casting him
0: yeah he looks
1: so much like uh, William Shatner and uh, is her name BB B-
0: yeah BB Besh I think is her name
1: yeah, I just wanted to point that out. I was like, wow, yeah. he really looks like Captain Kirk yes. and Dr. Marcus. Like, they did a really good job. But, um, yeah, a, a, what they did very well that I noticed in this film is um, making callbacks and tying up loose ends. Like, yeah. they did a amazing job at just, like, you know, making those connections. Um, and they, they did that with, as you said, like, uh, Kirk and David. So,
0: yeah. Um, And the uh, the they mentioned something like if we do this by the book, like if at like Lieutenant Savick, if we did this by the book and the hours would be feel like days. And then they reveal later on that despite Kirk's despair and screaming Khan and really. Oh, my uh, gosh. Can we (laughs) talk about that? Yeah. Well, first, let's yeah, let's talk about that. So, Khan, are you you're familiar with the, the screaming Khan, aren't you?
1: That was the first time that I, I I had ever experienced it. Am I supposed to be wow. familiar with this? Oh,
0: this is ingrained in pop culture where people will just con. Like it's, it's such a, uh, it's referenced constantly and people are always talking about it. So that is amazing. That this is the first time you. I feel like it. I
1: know nothing. Like I, I, <laughs> I know I am very like an, the the level of ignorance that I have towards pop culture is like real high, but.
0: But it's great though. Yeah, you, you, you got to give yourself some credit because you get to experience these things fresh. Like you didn't know that Khan is kind of a running gag amongst every. Like Khan, him screaming is so famous now and has been parodied so much. But um, you didn't know about Spock dying. So you get to come in with like this fresh, like take like a very, very uh, like you went in not knowing anything. So you get to you. It's really great to talk to you about it because you get to as somebody who, you know, I'm a super nerd and I very ingrained in pop culture and many of my friends are there aren't many people I know who aren't familiar with any aspect of this movie. So it's very, very cool to get a really, really fresh perspective to remind me like how good this movie is for a new audience, like a a person who hasn't seen it.
1: Yeah. I feel like I I know, I know the world now. Like I know everything just like everybody's I I'm going to be able to catch up on every single, uh, pop culture reference because apparently they're all in this film so
0: (laughs) yes now okay let's talk about spock's death so this is you did not know about it no how did that how did that hit you
1: i basically was just like oh can may i cuss on this what the that's literally (laughs) what i said when i saw i was like is he dying i was like oh no i was like "Spock can't die i was like he's in the other films i'm so confused and then uh he died and i was like oh okay uh you're like
0: what do i do what do i i i
1: I didn't know what to do i was just like okay that's
0: yeah that's that's how that
1: they they it was a glorious death scene though good for leonard nimoy for you know being able to to really channel that. It was really well done. I thought that no. it was a, a, a beautiful death scene, but I was also like, how dare they?
0: <laughs> so you were one of the fans who you were going to write them some, some death threats, some, I, uh, some yeah. very sternly worded letters.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm still going to, I don't know who I'm going to send it to, but I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, so Nicholas, Bra- Nicholas Meyer, <laughs> Nicholas. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah Brandon. Braga. Yeah. Nicholas Meyer, send it to him. He's still alive. He's out there.
1: Okay, I'm. am f- I'm gonna find you, Nicholas. Give Meyer. him.
0: Yeah, give him a piece of your mind. But I. Uh, yeah, I. I love that scene so much. It's such a. It, it's unfortunate, I think, and this is something I I want to ask you. The fact that Spock's death isn't final, I think, kind of, doesn't rob the moment of its power. But yeah. I I kind of side Nicholas Meyer. The the way the film originally ended was you, you had the death of Spock, and they send him off in the torpedo, and they don't really have the hopefulness like with Mm. them kind of like, Oh, he's not really gone. And then kind of teasing like, Oh, the, the, his, his grave is on the planet. Maybe he's going to come back. Um, They didn't have that originally. And test audiences were really upset. Like they were just like, Oh, it was so depressing. And they felt like they ruined everything. And Nicholas Meyer was like, well, that's the film. That's the way it should be. He's dead. And that's it. And I kind of side with Nicholas Meyer. Not that I want Spock, to die i talk about Ooh, this a little bit you're gonna I went get through, angry letters. I know, well look i i me and my my two good friends brad gullickson and aaron prescott went through the entire star trek franchise and uh, reviewed and ranked all the movies and we talk about this a little bit on there and i would encourage people to go listen if you want to hear more star trek thoughts go listen to that episode it's great but i said this there too which is that i kind of side with nicholas meyer i don't once spock did not come back i know spock has to come back and i'm glad he does but there's a part of me that thinks spock's death is not just a cheap gag in the movie it's not a it's not a shock thing it's not a oh spock died it's used to reinforce kirk's journey it's a punctuation mark at the end of Kirk's journey. And it is fundamental to his character arc in this film. He's never faced the no-win scenario. He's never had to face death. And Khan, even though Khan is defeated, Khan does get the last laugh. He gets his revenge. And, you know, again, Kirk finally has to face mortality, the no-win scenario, in one of the worst possible ways he can with losing his beloved friend and crew member.
1: I do I do agree with you um because he he also is used to having like he doesn't believe that there's no such thing as a no one situation so right. in that sense there was a loss yeah. and you know and for him to deal with it I do agree um maybe maybe they could have um brought him back like mufasa in the nebula <laughs> <laughs> and just talked to captain kirk like the Lion King, I would have been on board for a uh, Spock in a You
0: want Spock gas to have a, a space ghost like he's he's basically like you know, in Star Wars they're force ghosts that come to instruct Luke uh along his, his Jedi training. Um, right. dead characters come back. So you want Spock to be a forced ghost at the yeah. end of this movie. Yeah, like everyone's like, Spock's awesome. gone. And then Kirk turns around and Spock's like, or am I? And <laughs> he, he winks at the camera and that's how the movie ends. Oh,
1: which by the way, them, them flying through the nebula cloud. I was like, this is awesome. It's probably not at all accurate, but it's awesome. <laughs> like the wispies, the wispy clouds. I was like, it's so wispy. I love it. It's
0: really cool. It's a really fun, you know, uh, Nicholas Meyer, um, had always wanted to do a submarine movie Mm -hmm. and he just hadn't had a chance. And when he jumped, when he got the opportunity to do star Trek, he kind of saw the spaceships fighting as submarine warfare. And you really see it in that scene. He treats it as such, you know, they're on top, they're flying on top of each other underneath each other. And I love just the concept of like, they don't have their scanners. They don't have their radar. They don't have their targeting systems they're just like going in blind and they're both on even again, they're on even ground. They have to face off in this situation. I just love that as a concept and it makes it really exciting uh, as the climactic moment of the movie to have them kind of like sneaking up on each other. I thought it was really effective. Did you feel the same way? Did you enjoy that sequence? I feel like I didn't enjoy it.
1: I I, I feel like I didn't enjoy it enough. I have to go back and watch (laughs) it. I was distracted by the, by the wisps.
0: By the chest. I,
1: by, by the, yeah, the chest and the wispies. I'm going to have to go back and uh, and re, replay that whole situation. Um, yeah.
0: what, is, what would you say is your favorite, one of your favorite moments from this film? What would you call like the top scene that you're going to hold on to and remember? And this is going to transition into our next conversation, which is like what things didn't work about the movie. But first, I want to hear about your favorite moments.
1: I mean, I think the saddest, and but my favorite was this the Spock scene, uh, the Spock mm. dying scene. Um, I also thought it was really interesting. I love whenever there's a Vulcan pinch, like it just makes me mm. giggle. <laughs> and when he just Vulcan pinched uh McCoy, and then he he left that seed of like remember, I was I'm yeah. like it. I was like, okay, that's a really good like way to be able to anticipate the next movie,
0: right? right. Um.
1: I I don't think I have a favorite scene, to be honest. And it's
0: hard to, I mean, having seen it once, it's hard to be. Yeah. You're kind of trying to absorb the whole thing, too.
1: Yeah, I'm going to have to rewatch it and then I'll get back to you on that.
0: Yeah. So, as far as the film's weaknesses go, we talked a little bit about the slower pacing. It's a little off at the beginning. It kind of finds its way. It kind of finds its way maybe around the halfway point. Um, I think for me, if there's anything I knock this movie for, it's that, you know, it has a smaller budget than the previous Mm. film because the previous film, its budget just ballooned to something like $40 million because of the special effects work. And again, that's in 1970s dollars. So who knows what that is now? And the film did not perform well box office wise. Um, It, I think it made a tiny profit but one of the big things about Star Trek 2 one of the mandates from Paramount was it's like we've got to make it for te- for cheaper they got their entire television division to work on the film so the idea was we're going to make it for much much cheaper and hopefully get a much higher profit as a result right. and frankly Wrath of Khan looks a little cheap like I think yeah. there are th- some of the effects don't hold up as well some of the stuff is a little clunky a little hammy like it doesn't quite hold up as well like for instance Blade Runner was released this same year and Blade Mm. Runner looks insane it's it's one of the to this day it's one of the best looking films ever if not the best looking I have never
1: seen Blade Runner
0: Oh my God, Amber. I know. <laughs> I told already, you. I'm in <laughs> We've well, no, 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 no. This is good. We've I've done blade runner on the show, but I kind of, I cheated blade runner was a Kobayashi Maru episode for me because my buddy, John Mills and I, there are multiple cuts of blade runner there. It's like, you know, there was the theatrical cut and then the director's cut and then the final cut and then the work. Pre- there's lots of versions of the movie. So we cheated a bit and I watched the theatrical cut for the first time because I'd never seen that version. And my buddy watched the uh, the final cut for the first time because he'd never seen that version. But we'd both seen Blade Runner. So there maybe there's an opportunity there for, for us to do that. Just putting that out there. Um, okay. But this is all to say that I, I think the cheatness of Wrath of Khan does yeah. make it hard to wholeheartedly um, recommend to people who are maybe Star Trek skeptics or Mm. they're not into the franchise like I I said in the first part and I still stand by this I think Star Trek 2 The Wrath of Khan is probably the best Star Trek film but I don't know if somebody is not already a fan of Star Trek that it would be the one that I direct them to because of that kind of stuff but what. What do you think? Did you notice these? You kind of mentioned it a little bit, but did you notice these shortcomings? And what other things about the movie didn't necessarily work for you?
1: I think that was, I think it's those two are the biggest things. Um, I do think because, especially nowadays, um, because it's a little bit slower and uh, the philosophical like themes you really have to pay attention and you really have to let it like soak in for a little bit to be able to appreciate the film. Um, because the first go around, you might not be able to catch a lot of the the great right. nuances that, that, um, they're trying to hit on. But I personally love when sci-fis look kind of cheap. It makes yeah. me happy. <laughs> um i don't know why like when khan picked up that that giant like yes. a, metal thing i was like that is foam i was like you can tell that that's that is
0: exactly foam. and i love exactly it. what i was thinking about yeah that's that's one of the moments where i'm like and i mean bless his heart ricardo montalban acts the out of that like, and lifting it but it looks fake and the movie you know it was it was shot quickly i, mm-hmm. I think nicholas meyer there's It's a great movie considering the, uh, or it looks great considering the lack of resources. But there are a lot of shots where it's like, he lets things play out in Masters, where I'm kind of like, oh, you could use a close-up here or things like that. It looks a little cheaper. And I think a lot of that was because it was. It was a low, Mm -hmm. it was relatively low budget. And they had, I think, a much shorter production schedule. They really rushed it. And I think it's really by the, by the grace of a great script from a great filmmaker and a great cast and crew that the film transcends its limitations to become something as special as it is. And honestly, like, anything that throws me off about like the low budget elements and you know they they said that Khan's crew members were actually like chippendales dancers which is like well they look like chippendales are
1: you serious is that like a real fact
0: (laughs) that is that is the truth apparently um according to i think imdb's trivia which we always take as the gospel truth on this podcast um yes and uh, that's glorious they're great but they you know the feathered hair and like just the the look is very dated and it just kind of feeds into the cheapness quote-unquote of the film yeah um but i think the strength of the story and the ending and Really, and we talked about Ricardo Montalban. I really want to give a, some major props to William Shatner because just like you know, the screaming of Khan, which he is responsible for, mm-hmm. I think he's very easy to parody, and you've seen yeah. a lot of these parodies, the way he talks and performs and yeah. the way people make fun of him. I think his performance in this, for me, he and, and Khan are by far the best parts, and they need to be the best parts. Like they have to be the best performances, but I think Shatner's vulnerability to allow Kirk to be older and sad and, and not at the top of his game. I, I really love that. I really like some of the, the moments like it's easy to parody Shatner's performance elsewhere, but I think in this film, he really, really delivers something special i just think of you know con, uh, uh not con the uh the death scene with spock and at the the way he plays it right. just so understated like when spock finally dies and he just goes no he just says no and it's not like a no like it's not yeah. overblown it's just a completely defeated despairing expression and yeah nicholas meyer talked a little bit about directing shatner how in some cases, Shatner would go over the top, and Meyer would do take after take after take until he'd finally worn Shatner out enough oh to get understated <laughs> moments. Um, oh, that's and hilarious! I, yeah, I, I, but I really, I really, really love his performance in this film, and I get choked up. I mean, the ending is very emotional, but his, you know, of all the souls of, I've encountered, his was the most. Human, you know, yeah. is choking on that line is really, really powerful.
1: Yeah, I love that line that I actually I you just reminded me that is my favorite scene is that death scene, yeah. actually. Yeah, Um, I thought that it's was a standout very beautiful.
0: Yeah, it's a standout. Tra- That's a moment that I think ranks very highly for many Star Trek fans. There's a lot of great stuff to pull from. But I think if we're ranking top moments in the films, mm-hmm. I think that easily ranks number 1. It's just a it's a beautiful moment. There's so much weight to it because these guys you, people grew up watching and loving this show so that you have your own baggage that you're bringing to that scene and you have these two characters who have been friends for so long they have this infallible friendship and to see them kind of saying goodbye to each other. It's a very powerful scene. And again, you know, this movie could have just been a big effects movie that ends with like hey, everyone's okay, but uh, you know the the people involved even though you know Leonard Nimoy might have come in with a contractually obligated death scene but yeah. it doesn't feel like that it doesn't yeah. feel cynical or uh uh tossed off it feels earned and it is relevant to the story being told and I think that's what makes this film so powerful and what makes it work despite some of the more dated elements despite some of the uh effects work I think it um it ends up really like I, I just end up walking away feeling very, very impressed and wanting to, to watch it again.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what solidifies this as a great film too, is the fact that you know it, they did transcend all of those, all of the foam, all of the foam to come <laughs> to come up on top. All with, the foam uh, and yeah. what? Are,
0: what did you call it? The uh, the squigglies, the whatever, oh the, the... wispies, the wispies,
1: <laughs> the foam and the wispies to just still make like a a really at its core great film and i and if there's someone that wants to watch it if they can get over the slow pacing at first it really it really does like um hit all of the themes that star trek is is iconic for
0: yeah and it really it saved the franchise like the movie again spock was it was supposed to be like the last the, the final farewell. And then it ended up being, it did really well. It was critically well-received. It was very well-received by fans. And Leonard Nimoy suddenly was like, hey, maybe I don't want to stop making these movies like this. Actually, I liked making this one. Yeah. And um, the next one, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock is uh, directed by Leonard Nimoy. I think that's how they sweetened the deal for him. They were no like, well, way. how would you like to direct this film so he directs star trek 3 which is not my favorite star trek film mm. and the, you know i, I don't want to spoil it i think it's it'll be a lot of fun to watch but i think it certainly has uh it has its moments but star trek 4 on the other hand is is spectacular it's a uh it's a comedy and it works really it's genuinely sincerely funny and one of the best star trek movies ever and it's also directed by leonard nimoy um and then william shatner was like oh hang on i want to direct one and he directs star trek five which is i think unquestionably the worst of oh, no. the original crew's <laughs> star trek <laughs> films um and Nicholas Meyer comes back for one more go round for Star Trek Sexy. He directs that one. And that one's a lot of fun too. So there's a lot of good oh stuff to watch. I, you know, I'm but so I would, behind. you're so behind, but it's okay. That means there's so much more to enjoy. And, and frankly, um, I'll make you, and I'd be interested too, to see maybe on social media. If anyone's listening to this, you can tweet at me at yay. Dorman. What are the, quintessential original series episodes Amber should watch. Cause yeah, you can watch it from the beginning. I'd encourage that if you have the time, but you know, yeah. we live in a world where there's no shortage of stuff to do things to watch and you're busy. You got to go back to the future and tell everybody about the things you've learned here. So I know you've, your time is short, so maybe we'll get some recommended episodes. I'll send you a few maybe yes. highlights. Um, but for sure, I would recommend the next generation watching it from beginning to end even though the first two seasons are really really rough um it's worth it to get to season three and from that point on the show is is great and watch the measure of a man yes. it's such a it's such a fantastic episode um, and go back and watch space seed as well so you can see where all the the fun con stuff began
1: Gosh, I'm so embarrassed that I didn't like know <laughs> no. who he was. I was like, "Con, Con is this? I don't know who he is." And then You're I like, like after planet. I was like, a. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a planet. I get or a species.
1: Cringe. Um, that's okay. If there's something that I'm really uh, uh, actually never mind. I was gonna say what I'm really good at is being ignorant, but apparently I was not. <laughs> I was I was not very good at being like I don't know. I don't know. Well, I guess I didn't know who Con was. Anyway. I, now you know. Now I know. Um, I hope the Trekkies will forgive me. I'm trying to grow up to be one of you one day.
0: I'll, I'll so, forgive you on their behalf. I thank think, you. I think more, more importantly, you have shown a willingness and an openness to, to take a deep dive into this journey. You've watched the quintessential Star Trek film. And that is, that's going a long way, Amber. And you have to give yourself a round of applause for that. Pat yourself on the back. You've done it. You're doing it. It's happening, and you it's have happening. so much more to look forward to. So it's yeah. you know you uh, you're on your way.
1: Thank you, thank you for making me feel secure on my journey. and, <laughs> <Sean>
0: and, <I laughs> well, really and I'm glad, it. of course. That's what I'm here for, and I'm glad you enjoyed. It. I'm glad this kind of I think what makes this film so wonderful is that it really does spark that kind of like, oh, Star Trek is really great, isn't yeah. it? And it makes you want to watch more and, and do more. So that I'm that. glad this is kind of uh, worked out. And that you, it has opened the doors for you to want to to do more.
1: Yeah, it definitely has.
0: Anything else uh, to say about Star Trek Two? Are we good to go?
1: I think I think I am uh, have regurgitated all of the things
0: for now. So, <laughs> do you have did you said you had a couple quotes? Do you have any quotes you want to share that you love? Oh,
1: I'll, I'll share I'll share one where I'm okay. like I I love this one and it's so simple. It's when <laughs> it's at the end of like uh captain kirk in a spock's conversation where he's like i would not presume to debate you and he goes that's just wise and i was like i am going to use
0: that
1: in every (laughs) argument forever and uh yes so that's you know
0: what you know which one i i love is um khan is they're they're trying to coax khan after them into the cloud so they can be on even footing and as khan's ship slows kirk patches in and starts to tease him and he goes con I'm laughing at the superior intellect (laughs) that's one of my favorite quotes in any movie it's so good
1: they're so good the humor is on point
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat a little bit again and I'm gonna take the same final rating system I used in that franchise episode where my my franchise boys and I went through all the movies I said uh for final ratings with five being the highest and one being the lowest, how many superior intellects would you give Star Trek to the wrath of Khan?
1: I have to give it a solid five. And this is not because I'm afraid of Trekkies coming for me, (laughs) but that certainly helps. It helps, but it's simply like because of our conversation before the fact that it still told an incredible story, despite their budget Yeah. Um, And it really did hit on a lot of heart um, that the franchise has, you know, become known for. So I'm going to give it a solid five.
0: You and me both. And I love, um, there's a famous review, Janet Maslin from the New York Times. She was a film critic, a very well-known film critic at the time. The first sentence of her review was well that's more like it which is i always loved that because oh. the first one it felt like it got off to like a clunky start and the second film everyone was like hey there we go that's the star trek we know and love so and i would not discourage you from watching the first star trek i think it's a it's a
1: well no, i it have a, to i need yeah, to you should. i need to watch this burning room of a film
0: it's really not a burning room it's just it's very if you thought this was poorly paced (laughs) just you wait um but it's it's interesting it's got a great soundtrack and it's got some cool ideas but man don't watch it late at night you will you will be asleep you will fall asleep Um, i'll just put that out there but again I have a soft spot in my heart for that film, but Amber, thank you so much for coming back to the show. It's always lovely to hang out with you, and it sounds like we've got plenty more science fiction adventures to go on. But I think you know, let's you introduced me to a film last time. I'm introducing you to a film this time. I think next time we'll let the we'll open the floor to you again and let you introduce me to I- one.
1: I don't know if there is one that I've well, I haven't watched and you've watched. I've, I unless you haven't watched all of the Disney films because that's <laughs> that's know, all I know.
0: I, I don't there are some that I have not seen for sure. I didn't grow up in that. Wo- like I was, I was kind of, I was immediately into star Trek and star Wars and Superman back to the future. That was my world. So when my parents tried to get me into like Disney animated, I was like, no princesses and, and kissing and, and a- talking animals and singing where are the lightsabers like that was my reaction. So I missed a lot of Disney movies. So me there's, there's an opportunity there.
1: Give me talking animals. And if we're talking about Pixar, talking toys. Any oh, Pixar animata, I'm, yes. I'm
0: with, yes. Yes, yes.
1: All, all of the things. But um, yes, thank you so much for having me. Um, I love this experience because I learned so much. So, oh, so, good. Yeah, I learned so much
0: me. too. I learned about terraforming, about <laughs> time travel, and uh, and about uh, chests, really Ricardo Montalban's chest and just how a a a tool it is and it should have been used way more i think Mm -hmm. um but anyway if people want to find you out there on the internet they want to see all the cool stuff you're doing where can they find you on social media
1: well i am um my my personal social media is amber a-m-b-r-e underscore rosario r-o-s-a-r-i-o where i do a ton of science communication and uh that's probably the best the best place to to see me just talk nonstop about yes about all those space things because that's all I really know about so
0: (laughs) well no you know plenty of things but with emphasis on the best because it really is the best and all the stuff you share is so so cool and I love it so, thank, thank you, you for that. Everyone, you can follow me on Twitter at @shondorman, you know, the dumpster fire that is Twitter right now. But tweet at me and I'll respond. Say hello. You can also find me on Letterboxd. It's just shondorman05. You can see all my film ratings there. And that is that. Thank you everyone for listening. We will see you at the movies.